Episode 37 of The Passive Hang, it's Fayon here, and today I've got Zach Feiner on the podcast, who is one of the co-founders of ApeCo, which is a movement facility based both in Denver and Boulder, Colorado. Remember, if you're after more resources to help on your movement journey, check out thepassivehang.com where there's videos and free resources. This episode is about to get started. Thanks, guys, for joining in once again. Uh, stay on here, and we're at episode 37 of The Passive Hang. And today, I've got Zach Feiner on the podcast, who is co-owner of ApeCo in Boulder and uh, Denver, right? So you've got Correct. two locations. Yeah. Yeah, so welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I actually, I think, came across your work through another platform called MoveSkill a couple of years ago where, yeah, I, I'm not sure, sure how, but I think I was very into, you know, increasing my mobility at the time and there was this guy like hacking your hamstrings and then I think that, yeah, like you, you were taking it and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I had some interesting methods um, and then I think... It wasn't until recently where I was following the Ape Coast stuff where I was like, ah, oh, this face, like, I really remember this face. So. <laughs> yeah, I did, a, I, did a, I did a hamstring series when I was still up there in Seattle on MoveSkill. And I think um, there was some guy in California who was kind of like putting together pieces from like all these different people trying to do some of this work. And he had taken a lot of Udo stuff and, and posted it. And I think he... Uh, uh, put one of my pieces online. That's, I think that we got a, I remember we got a lot more eyes on us once that thing kind of, kind of exploded. But yeah, I was up in Seattle doing, doing move skill was this program or project I did with uh, Dave Werner. Mm-hmm. It was actually, uh, it was inspired by a guy named Rob Wolf. I don't know if you, that name means anything yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. So Rob uh, had contacted Dave cause they had started CrossFit Seattle together and, uh, and was like, Hey man, like, no one's doing this, like no one's doing good online coaching. You guys should do it. Mm. And that was kind of how that started. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, and got pulled into that project, which was fun. And we actually, uh, I think they, we just released every video we ever filmed for that on, on our, on the YouTube for, for free. Mm. So we're kind of stopped monetizing it. So it's, it's out there and there's, there's lots of good stuff in terms of like basic strength and, conditioning work and, and some handstand stuff um it's actually there's i think decent amount of good material on that on that page yeah i think i checked it out recently and i, I saw that archive so for anyone listening um search on it it's just under move skill right under youtube i think it's on youtube someone hacked our website and was selling <laughs> supplements from it <laughs> i say ours did it was really funny and they kept a lot of the pictures of like dave uh, which anybody who knows Dave Warner, he's like a Navy SEAL who doesn't like buy into that shit. So I was like, wow, Dave started selling supplements. And I called him up. They're like, no, we got hacked and we can't figure out. <laughs> the, the, the troubles of running a, a modern day digital business. <laughs> I know. We got, we got co-opted by some, by some bullshit scam artists. It was pretty, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. But yeah, all the videos are up on uh, on YouTube. I think there's some on Vimeo too, but the majority of them are on YouTube now. So 
So I guess, uh, was this part of some of the motivations to starting a physical space? You can't get hacked and, you know, someone can't go into the Apeco and start selling, turning it into a supplement shop. I'm sure someone will try at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, no one has hacked our space yet. Just us. <laughs> it might come under the banner of like, you know, bone broth supplements or something like that. Yeah, something yeah, yeah. a little bit more sophisticated. I'd be down with that. Um, So I've been looking at what's been happening over there and it looks really interesting. It seems that there's quite an active community, you know, getting into this modern day movement culture where you are. So maybe could you share a little bit about the the community there? What's happening there is, is, you know, is that something that you've helped to to grow or has that always been there? Yeah. uh, So uh, that's a good question. We, um, so Matt started the, a group up in Boulder in like 2015, I think it was. I was still in Seattle and, um, and he was training out of uh, CrossFit Sanitas uh, and doing a small group there and, and did kind of the genius thing of being like, I'm going to teach a gymnastics class. Uh, and so a bunch of people came and then, you know, he had them, you know, he'd get them good muscle ups and hmm. handstands, but he'd also start doing lizard crawls and, and kind of sneak in and more of Edo's work in there. Uh, and then he opened the space in 2016 and, uh, and I moved down shortly after. And yeah, so I mean the community in Boulder, we really built from the ground up, um, beforehand. Boulder is a funny place where I think people are really willing to try kind of anything. So if you go back to like 2016, like no one, no one knew who Ido was really outside of like kind of a niche group of people, um, and some, you know, some nerds on the internet and, um, and so I think most of our students didn't really know who he was. They just were interested in the work we were doing. And, um, and so we've been running that space ever since. And we decided uh, almost two years ago that um, we wanted to open a space in Denver. Um, it's just, uh, it's not that far away. It's like a maybe 20, 30 minute drive, but far enough mm-hmm. away that we were getting enough people being like, hey, what can you recommend in Denver? And we're like, nothing. <laughs> um, so we started doing pop-up classes out of our friend, uh, actually one of our teachers now, Grillo, he runs a Capoeira school. Mm. And so we started doing classes there and um, we ended up finding this great space and, and uh, we signed the lease uh, like I think 10 days before our first lockdown happened. Uh-huh. Um, and we're like, you know, looking, looking through our options. We're like, well, we can either fight the lease in, in court and spend a bunch of money on that or we can just do it. Mm. And, um, you know, we, I think we got lucky, you know, I mean, lucky, I think is timing and preparedness, right? So we got lucky in the fact that when, when we had to switch to training outside, it, it wasn't anything new for us. Like we've Mm -hmm. done outside classes, we're really flexible in terms of how we, you know, structure things and and whatnot. And the distance management and the mass were, were tough, but we were able to put together some really good classes, uh, here at our new space outside. There's a big piece of grass. So as we finished the build, we, we, we had a community. So by the time we opened, we already had like something like a hundred students. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our goal was, was, you know, two to three times that when we opened, but considering everything that happened, it was, it was pretty great. And I think it was just a lot of people looking to, to be active who didn't want to be in like a normal fitness kind of setting. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I think- so, 
you, you know, some of the benefits of the, you know, this movement practice is that you can bring it anywhere, right? You don't need to be chained yeah. towards, I mean, even CrossFit was a bit of a step away from all the gym machines. Right. And then this is like 100%. one step even further. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as the space opened, we were able to use, you know, the, the equipment inside, like the pull-up bars and the rings and get some weights. It only helped. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm so shocked and happy and excited about the quality of, of the community that we've been able to put together here in such a short amount of time. Like, you know, Boulder took a while. It definitely, a lot of people came in to try it out and it wasn't for them, which I, you know, it doesn't need to be for everyone, but you know, we've had people with us since we started, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think what I'm noticing is that on a cultural level, like much broader, it, it feels like people are more willing to give this type of work a try. It's a little bit more kind of like becoming socially accepted. Mm. And it reminds me a lot of like what CrossFit felt like in like 2000, like 10 or 11, where it's like, it, it went from the thing where like, you know, people would come by and watch yep. and be like, that's fucking weird. <laughs> and, uh, and then never come back to, you know, more and more people kind of uh, coming in. And, and, and for Matt and I, that's always been a big goal of ours is like taking, taking this thing that we found that was, was shared to us by Udo and our other teachers and gave us so much benefit and, and share that with as many people as we can in order to really make a cultural shift. Cause like, I don't know if you remember the beginning of CrossFit, it's like, you know, you couldn't find a pair of gymnastics rings. Like they didn't mm. exist. Mm. You'd have to spend like five, five to $800 to get like a gymnastics like ring rig. I think it's really interesting that when you're at the start of it, it feels like there's a big barriers to, you know, the, the stigma is there. People might looking from the outside in kind of like, Oh, what are these, you know, almost like freaks sort of doing, but then it changes very quickly, right? Like if I look around in Australia, uh, where I am, like there's heaps of gyms now with gymnastic rings. Everyone's trying to do handstands. And that happened maybe within like a couple of years. So it's yeah. really weird in that, in that sense. Well, I, yeah, I mean, like, you, I, you, you know how it is. It's like you have to have the early adopters. Hmm the person who's going to stand in line for six hours to buy the first iPhone, you know, and, and shell out a bunch of money. And, um, and then you have the kind of the, the, the second and third wave of it. There's a really good, I can't believe I'm mentioning a Ted talk. There's a really good Ted talk about this. And in the example, it's a, it's a, it's like a cell phone camera uh, or video from a, a festival mm -hmm. actually up in Washington where I used to live. And there's one guy dancing by himself, like just a total maniac. And at first everyone's kind of laughing and then like two people run over and join them. And five minutes later, there's like a thousand people. And it was kind of this thing at first, like everyone's sitting down being like, Oh, look at that weirdo. But by the end it would just turn into this like really amazing, fun, beautiful thing. And, and I feel like that's kind of what's happening is we're hitting this critical mass where you have, you know, it's becoming socially acceptable to do stuff that doesn't look sexy in the beginning. Mm. Um, but maybe, you know, seeing that there's like, you know, second and third generation of these people who are also embodying a lot of this practice and, and developing and becoming more coordinated and more flexible and, uh, and just kind of having more control of themselves. I think, 
I think there's a natural hunger for that, like because we've lost so much of it. And CrossFit was a, a good step towards that, away from mm-hmm. machines and the kind of Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger style of like fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it seems like the natural progression. So I do want to dig into more about the the Apeco, but before we get into that, I actually wanted to just ask about how you got into this because maybe that provides a bit of the context to why you want to share it through the vehicle of Apeco. Yeah, I'll give the brief one. Um, I uh, wasn't super athletic growing up. I ski raced um, for a while. Um, I don't really remember how, how learning how to ski. I just did it really young, but I was never really into competitive sports. I wasn't really active in that. I liked outdoors type stuff. Um, and then I found CrossFit in, I want to say like 2006, 2007, and started kind of playing around with that early on. Um, and uh, following Dave Werner out of Seattle. And then I moved to Israel and started a gym there with a guy named Omri Pellet. Mm-hmm. and was training there for a while and that's how i met Ido for the first time mm-hmm. and uh yeah man him i got to do uh it was i think six or seven of us doing a seminar yep. with him and odelia it cost three hundred dollars it was a lot of money for me at the time <laughs> um and uh and i was just i was blown away i was blown away by the detail by the attention to the quality um, and Ido impressed the hell, hell out of me, but I remember being really blown away by Odelia mm-hmm. um, because I, I just I hadn't seen the qualities that I saw in her in one person before. She was strong, she was mobile, she was coordinated, she was fast. It was just like it, it just really uh, kind of blew me away. And, and um, yeah, from that point, I was kind of hooked. So that was like 2010 or 11, I think. Mm. Um, and then I had been training with him every chance I could ever since. And, um, you know, a little less now, obviously because of, uh, uh, kind of travel restrictions and whatnot. But, um, yeah, that was how I got into it. And then I was in Seattle working at a CrossFit Seattle for a while, um, with Dave and, and teaching this work and really noticing that I, I kind of wanted to make this more of my focus as opposed to like the general fitness stuff. And um, mm. Matt invited me down to, um, to Boulder to, to help him open a space. And it just, yeah, it was great. It was a natural fit. Um, and that, um, was, that was five years ago, which is crazy. Well, I mean, 2010 as well was like 10 years ago, right? So um, yeah. looking at how, I guess, the whole movement culture thing has grown as well, that is almost like at the, at the Genesis, I think, um, in terms yeah, of but, you know, at the same time, like, you know, Liav who's teaching up in Boulder with us and, and mm-hmm. Odelia, like Liav been training with Ido since she was like 12 or 13, mm. you know, Odelia kind of the same thing. So like, uh, yeah, like even though I think, you know, generally got, got there early, kind of like I did with CrossFit, there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's always those people who were there before you, yep. um, which is nice. It's great to have kind of, uh, you know, people to look up to mentors and, and, and Liab and Odelia have always kind of been that for me as well, mm-hmm. uh, as, as well as a few other people like Johnny Sapp and, and uh, Clayton and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, I kind of just got lucky. Mm-hmm. I was looking for this and I happened to just be in the right place at the right time. Like if I hadn't been living in Tel Aviv at that moment, it, I don't know yeah. if I would have ended up working with Ido that early. So I definitely got lucky in that regard. Yeah, it's sometimes always a bit funny, right? Because 
as you mentioned, you were also looking for it. So it kind of found you as well. So, yeah, like I said, like I said, you know, like I think luck is, is preparedness and timing. Like I was ready for it and the timing worked out and I was in the right place at the right time. So yeah, yeah but that's, I mean, that's kind of how I ended up here uh, getting to do this. And in terms of like your personal practice, how has that evolved over the years? <laughs> I was actually just talking to someone about this. Um, I do a lot less strength work than I used to. That I'd say if I had one talent, it, it, it's, it's been strength. Like uh, having CrossFit as a background helped a lot because it taught me how to work like that. And then when, when I started doing the work with Edo, the online coaching, a lot of the programming was that. And at the time I thought, oh my God, this is a movement practice. I'm doing handstands, I'm doing ring routines. I'm Olympic lifting, this is movement. Um, you know, it wasn't until maybe five years later, I realized it actually wasn't. That was just kind of the preparation work. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of uh, uh, unfucking me up, teaching me good patterns, teaching me quality and, uh, and attention to details. But yeah, I mean, I went from maybe doing five to seven days of strength work, you know, every day, really every, every mm-hmm. single day handstands for sure every day, mobility every day to maybe spending one to two days a week working on that now. Mm. Um, and what's nice is because like Edo pushed us so far that building this abundance of strength really allowed to, to put that stuff on maintenance, which means that I went from maybe spending 14 hours a week or more on strength work to spending maybe three or four, which gives me so much more time to, to kind of investing are not as easily accessible to me Mm. like the coordination work like object manipulation softening the body too not just mobility but control and articulation of the torso and and all of this other stuff that doesn't really get i think talked a lot about outside of like maybe dance Mm. but Edo did a very good job and shy and and martin of like Martin Kilvati putting this stuff together in a way that that someone like me who who never really got that kind of uh, exposure as a uh, like a kid or a young adult, um, and so yeah, most of most of my practice is that now. A lot of improvisation, um, a lot of footwork. We were doing a lot of kind of boxing and martial work before, doing a lot of jujitsu as well before mm-hmm. the pandemic. But that's obviously on pause for now. And where do you think is that point where you? kind of say, okay, I've worked on my general capacity enough to now start shifting off. Earlier than you think, earlier than most people think. Um, I definitely, I, I'm happy I got like a one-arm chin. I'm happy I can do, you know, 90 degree push-ups and all that stuff. And, but I don't think I needed it for my own personal practice. I definitely, I think if it, if it helped, it helped in, in the fact that it like, it allowed me to kind of advertise myself as someone as like an authority on the work, mm. you know, like to be able to actually do the, the things that I was talking about and, and working on same with like the one arm handstand. But in terms of direct correlation to like my movement practice, meaning like, can I see, can I see those, those elements directly transferred to other other activities like you know one arm chins never helped me become a better climber to like the extent that doing spinal ways and and that type of work did 
like mm-hmm. that type of reorganization of my body. Whereas um, like a one arm handstand as well, like, you know, that took me probably almost five years to get. Oh shit. From like, from like no handstand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think back on it and it's like, man, I, you know, I was spending an hour a day, seven days a week getting that. And, and I'm happy I did. And I can, I can do it cold. I don't really train handstands anymore. So that's cool. But man, all of the, all of the water quality and coordination work and footwork, man, like for me, like so heavy and slow on my feet, all of that stuff, man, if I had had two more years of that, it would have been bigger. So I'd say for most people, it's like, being able to do some muscle ups, being able to do maybe a handstand push up on the wall or some ring dips, like that's probably enough. Hmm. Um, the question is, is what are you going to do with that strength? If your goal is just to get strong in those linear things, like that's great. Like that's fine. I nothing personally against that. But for me, it's like what we're doing with our students now is we're doing the linear strength work, especially with this newer group in Denver, but we're also making sure we're, we're playing games. We're giving people, complex tasks to solve we're we're testing the strength in nonlinear pathways as well because that that movement intelligence wrapped around the kind of core kernel of strength is going to be way more powerful and all you need to do is look at someone like a dancer like a dancer or a climber or a wrestler to see that mm. you know these are people who aren't doing a lot of linear strength but in their specific modalities they're very strong like i don't know if you've ever kind of messed around with someone who wrestled like in high school, yeah. it's like freaky. They're freaky strong. Mm. Um, they might not be able to do a bunch of muscle ups as clean as we can, but they have this other thing because their body has has dealt with these like constantly varied types of situations. They're so trying to take those types of practices, dance, fighting, climbing, and trying to use kind of elements of those those practices or, or systems that mimic those practices in conjunction with the linear strength has really, uh, I think, uh, given more benefit to me personally. And then for our students, you know, we talk, Matt and I have talked about this for years, the stuff that took us years to get, they're getting in months, like a fraction of the time. And I think it's because of the community, it's because of having a it's because of having a teacher there with you kind of being like, ah, don't waste your time on that or focus on this, but also taking our past mistakes and experiences and trying to kind of filter this out even more, even cleaner. Um, so, you know, I look back every once in a while, I'll kind of be nostalgic and look back at you know, my Instagram or something like that from a few years ago. And it's like, it's very crazy how much my practice has changed. It's much more enjoyable now, I'd say in a different way. Yeah. And also I think- I think that's the gift as well of a growing or evolving culture. And then with starting communities and teachers as well. Right. So it looks very different from years gone by, but I wanted to ask as well in terms of your practice, what have you mentioned that strength came to you quite easily? What has been really challenging for you or what have you identified as weaknesses within your practice? I'm really bad at object manipulation. So like any juggling work, um, it always takes me like you know, twice as much as I'd say some of my peers, you know. Um, definitely we did a lot of playing around with soccer balls, like dribbling a soccer ball a hundred times without it touching the floor like that. That took me almost a year mm-hmm. and it was a lot of work and it was super frustrating. 
lots of uh, time spent alone in the facility screaming and swearing, <laughs> swearing. you know, getting to like 95 and then fucking up. <laughs> that's been, that's been uh, something hard for me. Um, the softness work too, as well. So like this, um, this kind of uh, segmental articulation of the torso. So doing these waves and, and, and work like that because CrossFit, especially the work I'd done before, was so much about like solidifying the the torso, right? Like bracing neutral spine. That 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 kind of work really took me a lot of effort. Felt like a lot more um, than some of the other things. But the benefits been astronomical. And what's cool is the softer my torso got, the stronger I got. Mm. So even though I was doing less strength work, the ability to organize my my body better uh, helped a lot. And it's also helped me learn other other sports uh much better too especially like jujitsu um man what up all of it <laughs> i suck at all of it like that's really like when i say i was talented at strength like i just did a lot of strength work and i knew what it felt like so it was easy for me to get back to that sensation it was you know it was so work um but i think the reason i am drawn to this practice so much and i think that i could speak for matt and say the same is because we aren't good at it we've never been good at it and we had to work and learn and being going through that process in your twenties and thirties and realizing that it's not some impossible thing that you're not born talented or good at this stuff or not that you can, that you can develop it. That really was, I think the, the kind of thing that pulled me to, towards this and towards wanting to teach it. Um, because I know what it feels like to feel unconfident. I know what it feels like to not be good at things and not feel like you have control of your body. And so for us being able to share that with so many people over the years, like that's really, that's to me the benefit of it. Hmm. Um, some people in this practice are, are researchers. Some people are more kind of on that thinking side for me. Like I feel like teaching this and sharing this to, to as many people as I can is, is what, I, what I have to give. Yeah, man, I'm terrible at all of it. And I know, and it's tough because I know people don't believe it because, you know, obviously yeah. you see things online and then for our students, they see, they see the end result. Hmm. Um, but I like, you know, I like feeling bad when I'm doing stuff. I like feeling like I'm fucking up. I like to show the students that I still have to work on it also. I think that's important. And do you have any sort of learning strategies or tips that got you through those very difficult times, such as you mentioned the soccer ball, you know, getting to 95 or something that's just not quite clicking. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a line from Edo's line of it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. You know, um, I think there, there's, there's so many different kind of uh, uh, like different types of pedagogy of like teaching and learning. Um, but I think the things that always kind of made the process feel more comfortable for me was being okay, being uncomfortable for one, being okay, feeling like an idiot. I'm not saying feel comfortable feeling comfortable. Cause like, uh, I think it was Kyle, our, our buddy um, who kind of said like, that's such a, it, it just, it sounds shitty when you say that to someone like get comfortable being uncomfortable. No, it's just like, it's like knowing that that place is actually, it's safe and that's where, where important things happen. So like, yeah, sucking at the soccer ball to me was like, then it became an obsession. I was like, oh man, I suck at this. But I learned how to do a one-arm handstand. So kicking a ball should be 
should be manageable. I should be able to, to figure this thing out. And just like any time I'm ready to quit, especially something like softer like that, I'll just do a little bit more, 10 more minutes. Yeah. And then at a certain point, I'm just like, all right, put it down, you know, set my mind to another task. So maybe I'll have two or three things that I'm really focused on developing at any given time. And then I'll have the rest of the practice that I like. You know, I, I like the dance stuff now. I like the locomotion. So I'll make sure I do that too. Cause you don't want to just be eating vegetables the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it a lot more sustainable for me personally. I know there's people like Johnny Sapinoso, uh, who's in San Francisco right now. Like that guy, doesn't matter what you set him on the task. He will put everything into that. Mm. He's a monk. He really has that ability. For me, that wasn't really my mindset. I was never able to do that as well. Um, but yeah, I like I, I'll set I'll set goals for myself that are manageable, and then I really make sure that I'm working to reach them. I don't necessarily set a time frame for it. I think that was a mistake I made early on. Two months I'll have this. Six months I'll have that. Next week I'll have this. It's just it's going to happen when it happens. Mm. And then the other thing is like, even though my orientation might be towards achieving a goal, like a hundred dribbles, I don't want to gamify everything. I don't want to turn everything into some, some video game where I'm just collecting tasks and skills. I also want to realize that the whole process of working on it is the fun part. Like that's really what I do enjoy. Uh, and so it doesn't matter if I had the shittiest session and I could only kick the ball 10 times, like what a great way to spend an hour. So, As opposed to doing some other thing, like working all the terrible jobs I worked in high school, right? So <laughs> I think well, kind of setting your priorities that way is, is beneficial. And so nowadays, what would you say you are orientating towards or searching for in your practice? Um, man, you didn't tell me you were going to ask me hard questions. Uh sustainability is the biggest thing right now. Like, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Like you talk, we talk about like these black swan moments, these situations where, you know, what happens when you lose everything? Like, what do you do at that point? Um, and not saying we lost everything, but like, you know, the, the, our, our living situations and our livelihood and everything kind of got, got really shaken up. And I went from training every day with, tons of people and that, uh, you know, several months alone and then slowly more and more groups. But I'd say finding the, the work that it, that I enjoy, that I appreciate that will get me kind of in the practice. And then, and then making sure, like I said before, like spending time on the things that challenge me and, and push me. But, um, yeah, I'd say like for right now, sustainability, like, I don't want to sound like it's so corny. Like I'm 30, whatever now. And, and my priorities have changed, but it's just like, uh, like I like the strength work. I still do a lot of it. It still feels good to me, but, um, I'm now interested, like, what is my practice going to look like in 10 years mm. and trying to organize myself towards that? Where are my deficits? Where are the things that I'm avoiding a lot? And should I spend more time on that? Um, so just trying to be more introspective, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think those, parts are also the most confronting right because then you really have to identify oh what do i suck at like as you mentioned before or what are your weaknesses so uh, it's a very interesting orientation and you know 
we've all heard Ido say how he loves to work on those parts, you know, his, his weaknesses rather than his strengths. Yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever met anyone who's like, yeah, I'm happy with who I am now. Like everything's great. Like I'm going to keep this, you know, so I don't want to say sustainability in that terms of sustain just what I've made. Sustainability in my practice means the ability to keep it interesting to me. And again, interesting can be the stuff that it challenges me. And it usually is. Like I really enjoy the things that push me in places that I feel uncomfortable. And like, again, I'll use the example of jujitsu. Like I don't think I enjoyed doing jujitsu for the first year. Like really didn't enjoy it. Um, but that's what kept me interested in it. Um, you know, same with a lot of like the, the dance work is like, it wasn't, it wasn't fun for me for a very long time and, but it was interesting. Um, and I think there's such a, an aversion to putting ourselves in those types of situations just because like our lives are so easy, like so, so easy, you know, and it, it, it's, it, it gets easy to just be like, yeah, you know, I'll stay on the phone or I'll watch some videos of people dancing, but I'm not going to actually try it. Um, and I'll live kind of vicariously or, you know, I'll skip a session today. But, um, but again, like, I don't think I've met anybody who's like, I'm comfortable with who I am right now. And I don't want anything to change. Like that idea of like, I want to kind of end up more interesting than I am now. You know, every, every chance that I can, I want to add more experiences and more tools and more kind of uh, relationships and things like that. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And you've mentioned these specializations now uh, that you've dived into. How have you approached like training for these specializations? What, what was, did you sort of set yourself a goal or a time frame going, I'm going to jump into this and how did, how, how does that sort of work with a more generalized movement practice? Um, I, I'd say like, I never really planned for it. The jujitsu thing happened because there was a great school down here. And when I moved here, Matt was just starting to get into it. And, and we found a, a great teacher, a few guys, um, Amal Easton, who owns the school. And uh, one of the teachers there, this guy named Shay, who, who is uh, just like a real fun, uh, awesome guy to kind of learn from. And uh, so it kind of just happened. But for me, I think using those kind of specializations, same, same with like climbing as an exposure of my general movement practice. So again, it's like I could do one arm chin ups by the time I started climbing, but I couldn't climb as well as people who couldn't even do, you know, a chin up. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, like something's missing here, right? Like there's, there's, there's a disconnect in terms of like what I was preparing for and what actually like the result was. Um, I think by the time I got to jujitsu, my ability to, um, to kind of teach myself alongside the teacher, like the teacher obviously is giving me the information of like their knowledge and experience in jujitsu, but being able to use the terminology and experience that I had, you know, been given and developed through the movement practice and, and kind of using that as a filter to learn. Uh, a really complex sport, I think made it a lot easier. Um, and I definitely feel like I progressed faster in jujitsu than I would have had I not had that experience. Um, so I don't want people to think that like, you know, 
you have like that having a movement practice means doing handstands and strength and jujitsu and climbing. It's like, no, like those things are, are, are kind of pieces that get put on the foundation of it. Hmm. So, and I think I've said this a lot in like interviews, but, um, the analogy I've been using for a while that I really like with the movement practice is like, uh, using the analogy of like a smartphone, like your iPhone. So if you think like your iPhone, like the application would be the specialized practices. I have jujitsu application. I have climbing application, contemporary dance application. It doesn't matter if it's the newest form of that application. If you're downloading that onto an old phone, that has old hardware and out of date and out of date operating system, then you're going to probably have trouble installing or using those applications. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so for us, the movement practice, like the way I've been trying to elevator pitch this for a while, is like, we're going to, we're going to update your phone, give you the new hardware, and then we're going to do the work to install that new operating system. So that way when you install whatever it is that you want to put on top of that underwater basket weaving and, you know, and cliff diving, like you're going to have a better time getting through that work. Um, you're kind of setting yourself up for, for a little bit more success. And maybe, maybe you're not the best person who's ever started it, but you're going to be better than you would without it. Hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask how you explain it to somebody who walks into the APECO school and they haven't heard of Edo or movement or anything like that. Maybe they've trained at a gym a little bit before, but how does that conversation go? It definitely matters what their background is. Cause I will tailor it depending on who, who comes in. If they're a fighter, if they're a gym, ex gymnast, if they're a couch potato, um, so it really, it, uh, the, the lame answer is it depends. <laughs> um, but, you know, like this is, this is the, it's the phys- physical education that I always wished I had had mm-hmm. and never got. Um, it's not, you know, PE like in the States, it's like, all right, run around the track. Now like throw dodgeballs at each other. Okay, this week we're playing softball. Okay, next week we're playing basketball. And it was like, you know, I just was like, I'm not good at any of this stuff. Mm. Um, and so this really is like a, 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 like a boiling down to like the essential kind of, uh, kind of fundamental movements or fundamental principles rather that will help you learn other things. And this is where I think Edo doesn't get enough credit. And I, cause I think people don't really understand what he's, what he's actually been able to do, but you know, maybe you've experienced this, but you'll go into some specialized practice and they'll say something like, you know, like for us, you know, you have to get this thing and we're completely unique in this way. Like only we do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Edo did a really good job of realizing is that, you know, at the end of the day, the, the human body is only capable of so many combinations and it might be, you know, hundreds of millions of them. But at the end of the day, it's like, I still generally am going to have two legs, a spine, two arms, and then a brain on top of it. And so the, the kind of variations of those things that I can do are going to be limited. And if I can learn some really big kind of overarching principles for that type of movement, then I'm going to have an easier time applying them to different practices. Mm. So we did a lot of like, we did a lot of footwork for the, you know, for a few years. It was very kind of looked martial artsy, but it was like, 
a Muay Thai person would be like, that looks stupid. A karate person would like that look, or a boxer would say that looks stupid. But at the end of the day, when we ended up going into those types of practices, like the, the essential pieces that we learned about organizing the feet and moving yourself on the legs, they work mm. because you got two legs and you know, for the most part, you know, that's going to be the way it is for everyone. And, and that's what they're going to have to learn how to use. And, and it doesn't take anything special, but it's hard to see the, those, those, those kind of core principles. And, and again, like that's where I think a lot of Ido's um, kind of genius, like he was able to really distill out a lot of the bullshit and a lot of different physical practices and take the things that worked. And um, so using a, a container such as the, the footwork example that you've just presented, maybe could you share what are the principles behind that or maybe some principles that you decided to share with um with the class yeah i mean i'm gonna oversimplify this a lot um but okay so in terms of moving on my feet i can walk i can bounce i can skip i can jump right like at a certain point like there's there aren't any other i can shuffle but that's it like there's no real other combinations you can maybe define other patterns but they're only always going to exist in that kind of framework so if I work on, you know, say like in a martial arts, like a stepping pattern um, in, in say a martial or like an omnidirectional stance, and then I work in bouncing patterns, and then I work in shuffling patterns. Okay, so if I go to a, a boxing class when the boxing teacher is like, move your feet, move your feet. Now I actually have some references mm-hmm. of how I can move my feet. So instead of them just telling, move your feet, move your feet, move your feet, and hoping that over the years I figure it out, usually by watching other better practitioners and then just getting the shit kicked out of me. I actually have tools that I can use where I I know what a stepping, like a a fast staccato step feels like. I know what it feels like to shuffle. I know what it feels like to to bounce and rebound. Um, And so then, you know, if I go from a boxing class and then the next day I'm doing parkour and I need to jump or, you know, be, be faster on the feet when I run or whatever it is, Again, I can use those references. Mm. Is that an okay example? <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, very interesting because I'm always drawn to this uh, concept of underlying principles. You know, people uh, always say like going back to first principles or principles of movement. And I think everyone's interpretation of that sometimes is is different. So well, interesting. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's always, and that's always the hard part. So the question is, is like, okay, so how do I... Like, how do I know what the, you know, the, the truth is? How do I actually know if someone's developing it? And, and I think the, the methodology is, is the person who's selling you this like basket of goods, are they able to do those things? And do they have students who can do them? Mm-hmm. Because there's plenty of people out there who are smart and really well-spoken and they can talk a lot of good game and it makes sense, but, but like, are they doing it? Or maybe they can do it because they grew up a gymnast and they were really good at rebounding on, you know, doing like back handsprings, but have they taught anybody? And I'm not just like one or two people, but lots of different people with different backgrounds and different body types and different experiences. If that's the case, then, then, okay. Like now you're looking at someone who actually has like a system that works and maybe it's like, I'm not going to say that Edo or, 
Joseph Fruschek or any person has figured it all out. And I don't think they would say that either, but they're in the process of figuring the things out. And that's one thing like I'll always look at as a teacher, like are they willing to change the methodologies and tools they're using based on the experiences and knowledge they accumulate along the way, or are they still doing the same thing they've been doing for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, in which case like, okay, they found something that worked, you know, in that time frame, but they were kind of too religious and too stuck to it. Um, yeah, that's always going to be the hardest part is like finding, finding kind of quote unquote, the truth or the, the, the efficient things. I think we're all trying to, work towards that right but the, <laughs> that that that's sort of a, a never-ending goal but you know just touching on this teaching part so I think a lot of us spend a core amount of time with being practitioners or on our own practice and then there's this other component then of trying to share that with others which I think is a whole another challenge in and of itself so how have you sort of approached this uh, this challenge and with your students do when they sort of walk away from this type of training or if they've you know, had a, had a year with you what what are the things that you really try and impress and prioritize on them to understand in terms of my students yeah in terms of your students i mean it changes a lot because you know, there's so much stuff I wish I could tell people on the first day. And I used to do that. Mm -hmm. And then it just overwhelms them. And they're like, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> fuck this. And this guy, right? I, at the end of the day, for me, it's much more about like meeting someone where they're at in any given moment. Um, in the beginning, I really just want to show people that, that they can have fun, that they can be challenged that they can, that I have something to teach them, that they have something to learn. And it can be the most simple thing to give that person, you know, cause like everybody's walking around with, with physical baggage. Like I don't care who you are. And I've said this before, but some of the worst students we've had have been some of the highest performing athletes in their field, Olympians, NFL players, and they tend to have the hardest time. Mm -hmm. but also there's like, you know, maybe a mom who just, you know, was athletic in, in college and afterwards and wants to get back to it. Um, I think for most people, I just want to encourage them to be patient, which is always the worst thing to tell someone. It's almost as bad as telling someone to calm down or relax, but like, at the end of the day, it's like, what's the rush with all of this? Um, I think being in a hurry to get goals and, and hit certain markers as opposed to just trusting a teacher, trusting a practice and, and putting kind of everything into it. Cause when you do that, you end up being much more open to maybe having your, your viewpoint sh shifted a little bit, which I think generally is, is a good kind of, um, kind of outlook on life right i mean i'm sure like especially nowadays like we kind of all know it's like confirmation bias is a very real thing and and we like to just be so sure that we're right but having a little bit of that ability to compromise and trust someone who has earned that trust 
uh, I think is really important. And, and if you can do that and you find a good teacher and you're willing to put in the effort and maybe really maybe work your ass off on something for a long time without understanding why or what it's going to give you, but, but trusting the teacher to be like, this is something worthwhile and important, I think is, is huge. If I could go back and talk to myself, you know, 10 years ago like that, that's really what I would say is, like, okay, the goals are important. You definitely want to make sure you're checking the boxes, but like there's so much extra stuff you're going to learn along the way to getting whatever thing you wanted that actually probably are going to be more powerful than that press handstand. How do you figure out what that is? You have to do the work. You know, it's like probably most of the worthwhile things that we ever learn in our, our, in like, you know, in our education in college or in, in school probably aren't the things that you were taught in class. It's, it's much more of those kind of added experiential things along the way. Yeah. And I think that transformational element always happens, you know, in reflection because coming into it, you know, you want the sexy skills, you want to work on those acquisitions because that, what, that is what initially draws you in. Um, and then I think that sort of changes as you go deeper in and realize there are these other nuances or qualities or, or learnings. And that's what keeps you going. Right. I think for people who stay within the practice. Definitely. You know, uh, I, I'm sure there are people who like knew what they wanted to be when they were, I grew up, I'm going to be this and they just do it. Right. And I think if I go through like that list of what those things were for me, it's, you know, it's 50 things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And realizing more of like going and learning as much as you can about something, but being open to kind of where situations take you, I think is important. Um, I definitely did not think probably even 10 years ago that this is where I'd be doing this. Very happy that it was, you know, um, I'd say like very often the most direct pathway seems to be the least interesting. Mm-hmm. So someone's like, well, that's the fastest way I can get to this. And it's like, all right, you know, is that the right question? Like, do you really want this really fast? You know, I, I say this a lot, like the, the least interesting or the most kind of depressing day of my practice was the day after I kind of checked the box on my one arm handstands. Mm-hmm. Cause it had been so much of my practice. It's like, Oh shit. Now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Do I just keep doing handstands? And you know, for some people, maybe that's enough, but but I'm happy that for me it wasn't. Um, yeah, it, you know, we, I think we know this. It's like people who are happier spend their money on experiences, not things. Travel and 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 friends and and all of that kind of like those these things you carry along with you on the way that no one can take away, and they don't go out of date. And so, trying to kind of have my practice and my community also be more like that where, you know, come into class, you're going to get a good workout. You're going to get stronger. I'm also going to give you a really good experience. Um, but it shouldn't just be that, you know, I'm just mindful of the time, Zach. Um, hey, you... we've got like five more minutes. Okay. Yeah. I got to run. I got to teach a class soon. So yeah. Um, just, so maybe just a couple uh, more questions, which is one, on the sort of near future, you know, you, you mentioned you've gone through some pretty challenging times this year. You know, you've, you've started up a, a, a movement school in the middle of not lockdown. What's on the horizon with yourself and with APCO? Is this something that you guys kind of want to expand with? Um, yeah, I think, I think we're open to the idea of it. It's, 
it's interesting because um like we would we would never like sell a franchise to someone we would never you know i don't think we'd ever do like affiliates or anything like that it's just not really how we see the practice being built but um you know for matt and i we were able to build up a, a really good teacher base in boulder um which is not easy. Like a lot of people I think feel like they're like, yeah, I want to teach. And then they kind of get behind the wheel and they're like, Ooh, do not want to do this anymore. You know, it's not, it's not the natural progression of this practice teaching. I think it's, it's an aberration, but you know, if, if I was able to, if we were able to develop some students, some, some more students to the point where they are at a level where we feel they're comfortable and of a high enough quality to teach. And it's really something they were interested in. Um, yeah, I could see us opening more spaces, more like, you know, if you, you got your black belt, they've trained with you for 10 or so years and they're ready to kind of go on and, and open up and, and do that kind of under the bigger umbrella of, of what we built. Um, but the agreement that we made from the beginning is that we would never do it if it sacrificed the quality, you know, one, you know, 10,000th of a percent the quality at all changed because of our growth, we'll, we'll, we'll stop it. Because I don't want to put my name, I don't want to put my teacher's names behind something that doesn't act like accurately reflect what that practice is. Hmm. Um, and, and I think right now two schools is definitely perfectly happy with that. Definitely not enough hours in any day for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, you know, I think we'll just kind of see where it, we end up taking it and where it goes. And right now, like the way this school has grown, yeah, maybe in a few years, we'll be at a place where we can open a, another location, maybe, maybe in another state, maybe in another city. Um, but right now, like, I don't think we've hit that anywhere close to that. So we're just going to focus on our, on our communities that are in front of us and, and put all of our attention and time into, into giving them the best education that we can. Like that's really the important thing. Mm. I have to laugh when you mentioned franchise because I just watched The Founder with the McDonald's and, and oh, the story yeah. of Ray Kroc taking it, <laughs> going big well, over America. Know, like, so. Listen, I mean, it is like, that's like the American thing. And that's mm. what, like, I, I, I really am, I feel like I'm lucky because, like, not many people know about Dave Warner, but he, so he opened the first CrossFit affiliate. So it was CrossFit in Santa Cruz and then Dave opened CrossFit North because there was two. So it was the North one. Mm. Um, and in the beginning, like CrossFit, like it seems so normal now and it's become quite a meme, but in the beginning it was so revolutionary. There was a lot of talk about quality of movement and quality of practice, but it, it, the way that they built the growth of that business became the, the main focus. It really turned into this kind of capitalist thing of like, mm. we'll do seminars, you know, we'll have 15 seminars like a weekend all over the world. Everyone's paying a thousand bucks and then, okay, now we'll do competitions and we'll do games and now we'll open more affiliates. And what happened is, is unlike McDonald's where there was this authority really like regulating what a, you know, a, McRib looks like or whatever, or what that, how the, the temperature of the oil that you cook the fries in that didn't exist in CrossFit. It was much more of a libertarian style. And what, what I think Dave or uh, Greg Glassman missed was the fact that like, if I don't like the 
French fries at this McDonald's, I'll go across the street to, you know, Burger King because I know what good French fries taste like to me. Mm -hmm. But with fitness, so many people are so un or undereducated about good practices that they can end up at a gym that's doing a really bad job and not know until they get hurt. Um, and people didn't realize that it's like, it didn't, it does, it did matter what CrossFit gym you went to because the one down the street, cause it, it was like that at one point where it was like the two on one fucking street, the one down the street maybe is way worse because the person went to a one weekend seminar. Whereas the other one up the street has someone who's been studying, you know, human physiology and exercise science and, and, and trying to, in, you know, invest in their education. And it's a much different experience, but if you don't know what you're looking for, then it, mm be problematic and so you know with us i know like and especially in australia like movement this movement that, that but it's not the same thing yeah. and so you have to be really diligent in your research and and who you're investing your money in and your time in because there's a lot of people who have good intentions i'm not saying they don't but maybe don't really have um the tools to, to bring you along safely and consistently. Um, and, and I, so I'm glad I had that experience. And I know Matt was also, he worked at CrossFit HQ for their gymnastics, uh, certification and, and he saw the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, when we opened this place, like we were very, very aligned in terms of like knowing what mistakes we needed to avoid. And I'm, and we've made millions along the way and I'm sure we'll make more. Um, but yeah, the, the, it, this doesn't work in a franchise model because mm -hmm. you can't learn this stuff in a weekend. And we get emails every week. Hey, are you guys hiring? Mm -hmm. I do what you do. And it's like, you know, I know the people who do what I do. There's like a handful of us. <laughs> we either come to our schools and you learn from us or learn from one of the other great schools like Rodrigo's in Brazil mm -hmm. or Santa Cruz, or you're one of those teachers. Like That's it. The community of people who really are doing the work the way that we want the work to be, to be approached. It's very small. Mm -hmm. So usually what I tell those people is like, great, come and study with us for a year, be a student and let's see. And then they never email back. Mm. So, well, I appreciate your time today, Zach. It's been, yeah, I feel like we could do this for another hour. So, yeah, I was, I was just going to mention, you know, I'd love to get you back on or get you back on with the whole gang at Apeco. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think, uh, I think I should bring Matt next time, but he's yeah. busy. He's got kids so, we'll, we'll leave this for uh, episode part one and I'll wrap it up here. But uh, yeah, thank you for your time today. And then hopefully we can get you back on and then maybe with the guys as well for a part two. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be, it'd be my pleasure. It was nice to talk to you. And that's it, guys. That's episode 37 with Zach. I really thank him for sparing his time to share with his experience and his level of insight, especially with the Edo method. He's been there for, what, over 10 years? I really gained a lot from how he spoke about moving away from strength from an earlier start 
than what he pursued it in. And I've been integrating that a bit into my practice as well with trying to develop a lot of other qualities now, which I'm gaining a lot of benefit from. So I hope you guys got something from that episode as well. If you did, if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, please hit me up. You can find me on Instagram. That's at P. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P or on the website on thepassivehang.com and you can shoot me a message there. I have a lot more exciting guests, podcasts, and other content coming out in the new year, so look out for that. I'm really excited to share that with you guys. And once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of The Passive Hang, and I'll see you in the next episode.